A reading from Paul's letter to the Philippian church, chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church, and we are so glad you chose to be here today. Uh, we've been in a series the past few weeks around here talking about why the church is essential. And I get that in many ways that feels a little bit like uh, self-promotion for a church to say that the church is essential. You know, it's like when Disneyland calls itself the happiest place on earth. Like, yeah, okay, I get that. Or the Dallas Cowboys call themselves America's team. Or Florida's new state slogan is, at least we're not Alabama. And I'm like, let me be the judge of that, friends. And there's this feeling of, well, of course the church is going to say the church is essential. Of course the church is going to say that. Maybe you're ready just to write off all of this because of that. But if you've been here through the series, you know that what we've been talking about is not that the church says that the church is essential, but that Jesus claimed that the church would be his agent to change this world for the kingdom of God. Jesus said that he gave the church the keys to the kingdom of heaven, that it was the church he entrusted his kingdom, and that it would be so powerful that the gates of hell, the gates of evil, the powers of darkness and sin in this world, that they would not be powerful enough to overcome the church and its mission to share the life of God's kingdom with this world. It was Jesus who claimed that the church was essential in all of this, that for a broken and hurting and divided world to bring people who are living lives that are disconnected from God, but also from themselves and from every other person in their life, from their community, that it was the church who would be essential to bring them to the wholeness of life in God's kingdom. And so Jesus said he was building his church. That's what he's building. He's building his church to carry out this mission. And what we've been trying to do over the past couple of weeks is really try and just get that clear to all of us who would call ourselves followers of Jesus, that the church is essential, not just to our world, but to your faith. And today I want to talk about how the church is essential to us becoming the people 
that we were really made to be. But, you know, even the problem in saying the people we were made to be is where most of us immediately go is our minds go to some kind of version of self-help, some kind of self-improvement, that what the church is here for is to help me become the best me that I can be. That what it is, I want to become the most, and the phrase is often used, is self-actualized person. That the fullness of my potential will become actualized, will become realized in this world. Now that term, self-actualized, it actually comes from a stage of what is called psychological and social development and something called stage theory. And there's an actual definition behind that, but I am not qualified to tell you anything about that. But in our society, just like the word literally has been literally changed from the meaning of literally, in fact, if you go into the dictionary, you will see a sub-definition that means this doesn't always mean literally. Because we just use it in our culture however we want. That was so funny, I literally laughed my head off. Literally? No, you didn't literally do it, right? Self-actualized in our culture has become to mean something else. What most people mean when they say, I want to become the best me I can be. I want to reach my maximum potential. There's this idea that I think many of us have that there is this idealized, perfect version of ourselves that exists that is fully, has all the meaning that they've ever could have from every single part of their life and they're fully attractive and they fully make the kind of money and they have this job where their talents are fully used and they feel a lot of purpose from all of these things, and every relationship is enjoyable and peaceful and pleasurable for their life. And what we think is, because there's this version of me that's out there, my job is, well, I got to get there. I got to do more. I got to get a different job. I got to get a better marriage. I got to get better kids. Good luck. I got to do more than I can do to get to whatever this self-actualized version of me, this potential version that exists, will become real. And so most of our energy, for certain personality types, it goes into trying to improve our lives. And so we're we're always trying to better our education or read a new book or we're trying to improve our body or some other aspect of our image that's out there. Or we think, you know, once I get that raise or I get that promotion or maybe I switch jobs, my life will have meaning and purpose or You know, once I have kids, or once I get these kids out of my house, or now the kids are out of my house, and I want them back in my house. Once those things happen, that improvement, then I'll have reached my potential of who I'm supposed to be. Or, we're not very self-improvement people. Me just talking about that already exhausted you. And you've gone to the other end. Well, then the point of life, the most me that I can be is the one where I just enjoy my life. I'm trying to get to the place where I relax. And so we say things like, I'm living for the weekend. Or I can't wait till I retire and I can go live on a beach somewhere. Because we think it's about getting the most pleasure, the most enjoyment out of my life. Or others of us, we think that the goal of my life is that I would have a lot of purpose and meaning. And so we throw ourselves into causes. And we talk about being on the right side of history. And I got, if I get involved in the right things or I use my vote in the right way, I will have been a part of something that matter and that's the most me the best me the most fulfilling me i can be and what happens is most of us live our entire lives right there in the middle we're not quite there yet and we keep saying well when i grow up and you're 62 (laughs) 
And all of us are like, well, you might, you might have passed it. <laughs> but when I get there, then, and then I'll know. We live this deep sense of longing. Like my life was supposed to be more than this. My marriage was supposed to be more than this. I thought parenting was going to be different than this. And we say things, I'm just living to survive. I, I was meant to thrive. And there is a truth to that. You were designed by God for what Jesus called life to the full or abundant life or eternal life or what he also referred to as life in his kingdom. A life that he described as rich and satisfying. You were meant to experience thriving in life. But human flourishing is not defined by humans. Human flourishing is defined for us by God. And so the human form of thriving, what it's become is self-actualization. I will become this best version of me or this most enjoyable life or I'll have this amount of impact in my world. And that'll be me. That'll be the me that lives on and that matters. And it, and it matters. But we think the path to that is that I've got to become the best me I can be. It's about maximizing our growth and potential. And what the problem is it doesn't just affect our view of ourselves it consumes our relationships. And so for many of us, I would argue all of us at varying times, parenting becomes less about raising my children to be godly people who love God, love people, build up his kingdom. And it becomes about trying to help them become the best them they can be. Because if my job is, as a parent, me being the best parent I can be, is you becoming the best you you can be. And we think what that means is i got to help you maximize your talents or your education or your, as if we're being honest, your marketable skills so you can get into a good college and get a good job and you can be the best you you can be. And so it's why we busy up their schedules. And we say yes to everything because I don't ever want to limit their potential. And we end up caring more probably about grades than we should because I just want to give you every opportunity to be the best you, you can be. But there's a level of that that is good and godly and loving to my kids, but there's a level of that that is really a reflection on me, because if me being the best parent I can be is you being the best you, you can be you being the best you, you can be, it's really about me being the best me I can be. <laughs> and so there's good and godly all mixed up with the selfish. And work goes the same way. We don't see it often as a way Man, I contribute to God's world. I'm making a difference in the lives of people. I'm providing for my family. We think this needs to be something that the task itself provides meaning to me and improves my life. And I'm excited every day to go to work. And the pay is also pretty nice. And so we keep working and striving and we keep changing jobs and changing jobs and we keep dissatisfied every day because we go, this isn't really making my life that much better. And the marriage in a self-actualized world is completely unintelligible. Doesn't make sense, which may be why in our society there's less and less people getting married. Because in a self-actualized world, if everything is about my self-improvement, committing to a marriage that may not better me sounds impossible. And so a lot of our kind of self-help around marriage, and I see it, you'll see it on YouTube and TikTok all the time, is there's these conversations, and you'll hear people, and they seem very wise, and they'll say, don't lose yourself when you get married. Keep the bank account separate, keep your own personal life, keep your own thing, keep your own stuff. You don't lose you 
when you get married, which in a self-actualized world is good and moral because you are the point. But then Jesus said, what's the point of marriage? He said, for this reason, a man and a woman will leave their parents and they will join together and become one flesh. They will become a new person. As some of you have heard me say before, I said to a young lady that I really care about on her wedding day, she said, can you give me any advice? And I said, marriage is just you dying a little bit more every day. You just die a little more than you did the day before. And we laugh about that because in a self-actualized world, that's a punchline. In the kingdom of God, that's the point. Is that two individuals would die, lay down their lives, and say, we have become one flesh. And we are not two, but we are one. And it's why divorce is always brutal. Even if you don't believe in that concept, it's always brutal. Because it is one now becoming two. And when marriage becomes something that is just about my betterment and me, and this is improving my life, and it makes me happy, and if it doesn't, then what's the point? It's unintelligible. And the problem is, most of us approach every relationship this way, we approach every job this way, we approach every part of life, and our chief question is, how is this fulfilling me? How is this growing me? How is this making me happier? And we do the same with church. It is no different. And so instead of the church being this community where I give myself to God's kingdom a little bit more, I die a little more every day. And I allow myself to be informed into the image of Jesus so I can support and encourage others to do the same. It becomes easy for church to be about me. And so I serve, but only in ways where I feel like I'm really getting something out of it. It becomes like a job. As long as it's fulfilling to me and it makes me feel like I'm doing something that matters, I'll help out. Or I'll give to things as long as I'm really passionate about it. You tell me where exactly that money is going. Or I'll be in a small group until somebody offends me or there's some kind of conflict. And before we know it, everything from my career to my marriage to the church, it's all about me. It's about how my marriage is helping me reach maximum levels of happiness, about how my children are carrying on my legacy and my impact into the world, how my career is maximizing my potential, how my church fits my lifestyle. And here's the thing. The problem is there's something about that within us because it's the way our culture tells us that that is good. That's the point. You don't give yourself away and just figure... Who's looking out for you if you're not looking out for you? It is good and it is healthy and moral to make sure you are constantly looking out for you. You do you. Your purpose is just about you. Our country is established on that idea. It's mutual self-interest. I'll look out for me, you look out for you, and occasionally we have to compromise and work together. How's that going? Because, see, we have individual rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we don't have a lot of communal obligations. What is it that I owe to you? I don't owe you anything. What I owe to you is that I be the best me I can be and you be the best you I can be, and that'll just fix everybody. But in the church, and we talked about this last week, I have responsibilities. I have obligations to my brothers and sisters. Because, see, the way of Jesus is not you do what's right for you and you look out for you. It's not about individual rights. It is about you surrendering your rights and your privileges for the sake of your brothers and sisters, for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the Savior who died for you and did the exact same thing. It was Jesus who taught, if you try to hang on to your life, you try to hang on to you, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. If you learn, it's just about dying a little bit more every day. Just die a little more every day. You can make your life about pursuing maximum potential and maximum levels of happiness and getting what you want out of your life, but that is all it will ever be about. And it turns out that's as small as you are. It could be about you getting what you want out of life. But you will lose what matters most because he goes on to say, what do you benefit if you get the whole world, if you got everything you ever wanted? Some of you, you're in church not because you lost everything, but because you got everything you ever wanted and it turns out that wasn't enough. You got everything and you go, I still feel empty. Because you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul. Jesus is saying, the path to eternal life is not found. The only life that is rich and satisfying, it is not found in you getting exactly what you want out of life. It is, it is not about being self-focused. It is not about self-actualization. It is about self-emptying, self-giving, self-sacrificial love. And here's the deal, and this is what we're going to talk about today. That kind of love, it requires a community. An early church leader named Paul wrote a letter to a church in the ancient Roman colony of Philippi. And in this letter, he described how life in the church facilitates the kind of self-giving, self-sacrificial love that the kingdom of God requires. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He's saying all the encouragement and comfort and tenderness that you've experienced from Jesus, it has all come through unity unity with Christ, common sharing in the Spirit of God. In other words, this isn't something that you achieved on your own. This isn't something Jesus handed to you individually. The life of the kingdom is a communal life with God and with others. And so Paul says, the way that you maintain this life is through being one in spirit and in mind. And to keep that from being some kind of vague, fuzzy emotion, he explains how to do that. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, looking not to your own interest, but each to the interest of the others. In a self-actualized life, all your focus is on looking out for your interests how you can get your boss and your spouse and your kids and even your government and your HOA and your school board on board with your plan and your ideas for life. But life in the kingdom is a communal life where you look out for the interests of others. And it's important to mention here that what Paul is describing is a good and godly posture for every relationship in your life. But these instructions are written about relationships within the church because it's within the church where a person is truly safe to look solely to the interest of others because others are doing the same for them. They are easily able to value other people's needs and share their life and resources with one another as we know the early church did because they are truly a family. In our world, it feels so necessary for each of us to look out for our own interests. 
Even when we want to be helpful to others, we have to balance our needs as well. I want to give, I want to volunteer, I want to help them, but is that going to take too much from me? And so, even when we want to do good, we also focus on our own interests. So every time we're in a business deal or a financial transaction or a relational argument, or we step into a voting booth, we're always at war with ourselves. We want to do good for others, but mostly we want to make sure that someone is taking care of me and my interests. And we want to make sure that doing good for you doesn't cost me too much of what I want. But in the church, we are free to look to the interest of others because we know everything we need for a good and godly life has been provided for by our Heavenly Father. And we have brothers and sisters who are looking out for our interests. And so when we are weak or when we need rest or we have a need, they are there to take care of us. But that takes humility. It takes humility to say, I need help. And it takes humility to say, I don't have to look out for my interests. But it also takes commitment to one another. Because this is difficult, this kind of life only exists in committed relationships. It's why the church is often referred to as the family of God. Because in healthy families, this is how life works. Could you imagine if everything in your home was labeled and only that person could use each thing? The TV is dad's, but the Roku belongs to mom. The Cheerios are dad's, but the milk is mom's. And who gets to control the AC? Dad, of course. Imagine if every day was a negotiation over everything. For some of you, this is what your home feels like. But Paul says, not so in the church. We are to see each other as brothers and sisters, and we are committed to one another. What's mine is yours. I will not withhold myself from you. When you have needs, I will be more than willing to share. And that may cost me at times, but it won't matter because you and I are one. So when I give of myself, I'm never losing. I am winning by losing. And this is why we need the church because the giving of ourselves, this losing of our life process, this is what discipleship to Jesus is. But we can't do this on our own. We have to commit ourselves to others and experience this life together. So before we move on today, we just want to pause and meditate on everything that we've learned so far, especially these words from Scripture. We sometimes just want to read over them, you know, but we need to reflect. We need to look at where we're failing to live up to these instructions that we've learned from the Apostle Paul. Where in our lives are we living out that selfish ambition, that vain conceit? Where are we focusing on our own interests above those of those in our family, the church. So right now, I just want to invite you, would you bring to your mind, maybe there's a conflict in your life right now, or maybe there's a relationship and it's difficult. There may be some tension there, or maybe there's a personal area of frustration right now for you, or a, a disappointment. Maybe it's with a plan for your future, and it's not working out like you had hoped it would, or something in your career. Maybe it's something where you're feeling a little bit bitter, a little discontentment. 
I just want you to bring that thought, that area to your mind and just ask God right now to reveal that to you. And is it possible that in this area you are living out of selfish ambition, vain conceit? Or are you only considering your interests rather than the interests of others? And while you're considering that, we're going to read these words of Scripture, and we're going to do this together. You're going to see this come up on the screen. I want to invite you to read the words in bold, out loud, as I read. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now I want you to take a moment and just talk to God. Ask Him to reveal any area of your life where you have been failing to follow these commands. Let's do that now. that area in your mind, would you just ask God to help you grow, help you grow in humility, ask him to help you to value the interests of others above your own. Let's do that now. Heavenly Father, would you heal our frustrated, disappointed, anxious hearts and help us to see that life is not found in just getting what we want. Teach us to look to the interests of others above our own. Help us to learn your path of self-giving, self-sacrificial love. Teach us what it means to rely on one another, our brothers, our sisters in Christ, and learn how to follow your example. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So the goal of life is not this idea of self-actualization. It's not to become the most and the best and the greatest version of me that I can be or to somehow build a life of excitement and, and pleasure and comfort. The goal is not that I'm going to work hard, I'm going to retire young, I'm going to build a good family and have lots of great memories. And the goal is not to somehow just find yourself and develop these talents and build a great career and become a better version of yourself. The goal is that you and I would give ourselves completely to Christ Jesus and to live fully in his kingdom. The goal of life is not self-actualization, it is self-emptying. The goal is to join your life to Christ's life and his life, his death, his resurrection. It's to follow his example of self-sacrificial, self-giving love that was shown on the cross because we know on the other side of that is a new life, a completely different quality of life. And the problem is, is that that concept is very fuzzy to most of us. It becomes just some kind of intellectual exercise. It's hard to know if we do it. I think it's part of what is the appeal of just measuring really my life, that if what I'm doing and my goal is to build a great family or a really good career or become a better me, then at work, they give me measurements to know whether I'm doing it or not. I know at the end of the day whether 
man, I'm, I'm on track to do this. Or, you know, if my, my, my goal is to be a great parent, I know because, well, I spent X amount of hours with them. I, we did this many activities. I know at the end of the day what it did. If my, my goal is to, 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 to build a better me, it's did I go to the gym today? Did I read a book? Did I, am I bettering myself in some kind of way today? Or did I learn something new? But the question is, how do I measure whether or not I am giving myself away to Christ more every day? It feels very fuzzy. How do I lay down on my pillow and say, did I join my life to Christ's life, death, and resurrection today? If you figure it out, you let me know. Uh, it feels fuzzy, right? You look at it and you go, how do I know if this is what I'm doing? And I think that's why Jesus does not leave this fuzzy for us. He gives us a tangible, physical community that he calls his body. He left us people to love and to care for, to practice living like Christ. He gave us a people that I could know whether I'm laying down my life just like Christ did for them. I can measure my devotion to my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can look and see how much do I actually prioritize gathering with the church? How invested am I in the relationships with the people in my church? When I find out that a brother or a sister in Christ has a need, my reaction to what can I do or whatever feeling rises up in me, that's a measurement. That tells me something. What else is a measurement is if I never hear of needs of any of my brothers or sisters in Christ because I'm not closely connected enough to anyone to know there are any needs. That tells me something. That is a measurement of am I giving my life really away? If I don't give any time or money or energy to anyone or anything in my church because I well I got to save that for me and, and for my career and for my kids and for my family and for my future that reveals something about me and my devotion you see the pull for many of us in Christianity is really no different than the people of this world our, our faith our church often just becomes something that is about self-improvement it is about bettering my experience of this life. It's why you, you or maybe even someone you know, you, you've heard them say, hey, I just want to go deeper in my faith. But what you did not hear when they say, I want more spiritual growth, they did, what they did not mean is that they want to give more money or that they want to start serving out of their comfort zone or to join a group with people who are nothing like them and they may not like them. That is not what they meant when they said, I want to go deeper. When they said, I want to grow spiritually, I want to be a better Christian, what they're talking about is, I want more intellectually rigorous teaching. I want to grow in some knowledge. I want to get some better knowledge. I want a more emotional worship experience. I want to feel something. I want to feel something when we're, we're together. I want to talk about my faith and my life and my feelings with people that I enjoy and that understand me. That's what I want about deeper and why is that the thing we think of? Because more intellectual knowledge, more intellectual teaching, that betters me. I'm now smarter than I was before. I now know more than I knew before. It's self-improvement, more emotional worship experience. That's about my experience of life. That's about what I'm getting out of this situation. Friendships that are with people like me, let's just be honest, they're more enjoyable. They have a lot, they have a lot less conflict if we agree on everything. Deeper, even in Christianity, often translates to more self-actualized. 
better experience for me. If I serve, I want to get a good feeling. If I invest in someone, I want to feel really close and I want to feel like I'm getting something back from them. I don't want to pour into someone and feel like I'm not getting anything back. I want to shape my life. I want to shape my church life. I want to shape my faith around me and what I want out of life. But if you read through the teachings of Jesus, if you read through the New Testament writers who are all writing to communities, they are writing to churches, You'll never see this as what they considered as deep Christianity. For example, Paul wrote, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to a different church in the Roman colony of Corinth, and he said this, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you, and he's talking about the first time I wrote to you, as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. He said, you're just mere infants. You're about that deep. You're about that deep in Christ. I gave you milk like you give to a baby, not solid food. For you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. He's saying, you aren't ready to go deep yet. You can't go deeper because you're still worldly. And what's the evidence that they're still worldly? Is the evidence that they don't have a deep enough intellectual understanding of something? Is the evidence that they don't have a deep enough spiritual, passionate experience of God? No, look at what he says. He goes, you are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, since there's fighting, since you guys can't get along, are you not worldly? Aren't you just babies? Arguing over little stuff, not getting along, breaking off relationships because it's not convenient to you. Are you not acting like mere humans? Aren't you just acting like everyone else? The problem is, it's not that you don't know what Jesus wants you to do. You don't want to do what Jesus has already told you to do. The problem is not what emotional experience you're not having. It's that you're trusting this emotional experience over what Jesus has already told you to do. Which is to be united to one another. The way that you know you're not very deep is you're not laying down your life for anyone else. You're not united to one another. In love, you're allowing quarreling and conflict to come between you and divide you. Paul is saying spiritual growth and maturity is about how willing you are to lay down your life just as Jesus did for the love, for the unity of the church. How well are you able to give yourself away to love your brothers and sisters in Christ just like Christ Jesus did? And in case you think the language of laying down your life is some kind of an exaggeration, look at how Paul closes that section that Heidi just read to us from our scripture today in Philippians 2. He says, here's the goal of doing nothing out of selfish ambition. He says, in your relationships, once again, with one another in the church, your relationships with one another, you should have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The church is a community of people who are trying to emulate their Savior in every way. And Paul says specifically in the way that they do this is that Jesus, who was God and had all the privileges and rights to take over everything and say it's all about me that a God would have, he laid it all down. And it says in one translation, he emptied himself of his divine privileges and rights. And he died a slave's death being obedient to his father even until death. And this is the way in which we should have the same mindset with one another. That though I may have rights and though it would be very easy to make this life about me, I say, I don't value my own interests. I don't look out to my own interests. I look out to yours. I know what's going on in your life and you know what's going on in my life and I'm willing to lay down my rights, empty myself of what I could get out of this life 
what is potential for me to make this life about me. I will lay that down for your interest, for your sake. But this is not sad news. Brothers and sisters, we know this is good news. Because when Jesus chose to empty of himself, to lay down his life, it was at that that the Father lifted him up, raised him up, not just to new life, but to the highest place. Gave him the name above all names that it was at the name of Jesus. And it will be at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We know that. That this is the new life of the kingdom. The path to the kind of life we all want. A fulfilling life where I know that I matter. And my life makes a difference. And that every sacrifice I make, it matters. The life where I feel respected and loved. It is not about me trying to achieve or to earn or to acquire that kind of life on my own. It is through laying down my life. It is letting go. It is losing our lives. And the church is essential in this because it is the church. That is the place where we practice this together. Yes, You should practice self-giving, self-sacrificial love with everyone. Love everyone always. But have you noticed that at your work and in your neighborhood and even in your own home, they did not commit to you to do the same thing? Which is why some, some of us as parents are constantly saying to our kids, don't you care how what you're doing hurts me? And they're like, that's a perk. Because as a parent, you committed to lay down your life for them. They never committed that to you. And you're trying to get them to do for you what they never committed to do for you. And so you should practice it. But it is within the church where everyone else, your brothers and sisters say, you lay down your life, I'll lay down my life. You look for my interests, I'll look out for yours. And together, we will be the kingdom of God. And a watching world will look by and say, I've never seen people like that. I've never seen a community like that. That is not the way the world operates. Of course it's not, because this is a different kingdom. This is a different kind of life the church is the community where each of us commit to god and to one another that we will lay down our lives for him and for one another and so the church is meant to be this picture of heaven on earth of what is coming when the day comes when every knee will bow and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus christ is lord we just get to go first We just get to go first. And we practice it with one another. In Coweta County, just as it is in heaven. So can I ask you, just as we've been doing throughout this series, is this your experience of church, or is this your experience of church? Are you able to actually go deeper? Are you able to actually grow, and not in knowledge, but grow in giving yourself away to God and to others? Do you invest your time? Do you invest your money? Do you serve? Do you have any kind of relationships where you could encourage and support anyone else who is in a time of need? Are your relationships with people that you already know and you already like and you don't venture out to anyone else? If not, would, would you consider going to First Step? Would you consider, I'll stop by the Next Step Center, and once again, you're not committing to anything, yes. You're just saying, I want to investigate what could this life actually look like right here in this community. 
How could I figure this out? And if you're here and you've stopped small group and you stopped serving and there was a time where all of this mattered to you but maybe got a little tough or maybe life got tough or maybe a relationship got tough and you pulled away. Hear me say life is not found in the pulling away. It is in going deeper. It is in committing more fully to the people, your brothers and sisters around you, and allowing them to love you and support you and strengthen you through what you're going through. And so would you consider today going to Next Steps, talking to me, we would love to help you get back committed. Because the person you were made to be, the life you're looking for, it is not found in you getting the life you're looking for. It is in you giving up the life you're looking for. And somehow you found a better life on the other side. So to give us some time to talk to God about this, I've asked Jason to come back out. He's going to lead us through a time of prayer and reflection on